leftovers, or the DMV, or house cleaning, or Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. We're prohibited by law. T plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe from way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes! It's all over. The Chicago Bulls have won. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay. And it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I am your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me this week I've got a very special guest. He's a sports business classroom alum. He writes for Fansided.com, and uh, he did a couple of recent articles talking about the ascension of some of the Dallas Mavericks bench guys, including Jalen Brunson and Maxi Kleba. He also did an article uh, with uh, some trade proposals for Dennis Smith. Of course, there's been news and rumors that uh, that he is on the trading block. He also uh, does play-by-play for the Miami Hurricanes. His name is Evan Siegel. Evan, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Garrett. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, on this episode, we decided to, uh, to break down our all-star picks. Uh, we've both done our lists separately. Uh, we're going to have the, uh, the 12 in the East and 12 in the West, including the five starters for each. Uh, but uh, this will be, uh, be a fun little exercise as, uh, as the All-Star weekend is just about a month away, or a little under a month, I should say. And Evan, let's, uh, let's get started with the Eastern Conference. Who did you have as, uh, as, your, as your starters in the East in the backcourt? Well, so in the East backcourt, it's it's kind of a tough decision given uh, you know what first what transpired uh, with the Washington Wizards uh, losing John Wall uh, for the season kind of put uh, everything on the shoulders of Bradley Beal. Uh, so on that merit alone, you could argue that he uh, deserves himself a spot as a starter. But to me, uh, the most deserving starter in that backcourt uh, is Kemba Walker at that same position, uh, and then Kyrie Irving. I think uh, we'll be right next to him. If you look around the Eastern Conference, Kyle Lowry, you know, I think the arrival of Kawhi Leonard has, has definitely improved his play uh, over the course of the season, especially as an assist guy, which is what he's best at uh, in Houston and what he was best at even while playing with DeMarc Rosen and as a spot-up shooter. Ben Simmons, I still think, has struggled a little bit too much 
uh, to score uh, when needed to. And, of course, they're playing, uh, as we speak right now, uh, with the ultimate score in the NBA, James Harden. So it's going to be tough, you know, for him to answer the, answer the bell. Uh, in that case, I mean, so I would go with Kyrie. Uh, as, you know, I think we've seen what happens to the Celtics when he leaves the floor, when he's injured. Uh, he, as good as Terry Rozier is, as good as Marcus Smart is, they simply can't uh, run that offense the same way. I think some of the concerns about the Celtics not being able to have their offense flow the same way as it did last year, particularly in the Eastern Conference Finals, is a little bit overblown. Uh, and I think the Celtics would be in further disarray without Kyrie. And then Kemba Walker, you know, the, the rest of that Charlotte supporting cast is just an overpaid Nicholas Batum. And, uh, you know, it, 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 you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find, you know, I mean, his backup is Tony Parker. And, you know, essentially he was brought in for chump change because that's all Michael Jordan and the regime there and Charlotte could afford. So I would go with uh, Kyrie and Kemba Walker as my starting backcourt. Okay, so we so we agree on one of the two. We both agree on Kyrie, and and you, your point about the fact that uh, the the concerns over Kyrie and and the chemistry of the offense when he's out there, you're right. It's overblown. The the numbers, uh, you know, disprove any issues with that. They they have about a, a 117 offensive rating with him out on the floor. He's really been the only consistent guy for Boston, along with a guy like Marcus Morris, who we may talk about a little bit later. Uh, as uh, as one of the most consistent players on the Celtics this year with a team that has been anything but. But uh, in, in terms of uh, of Kemba Walker, uh, I uh, I certainly have him on the All Star team. He uh, he made it, but he's on, on my reserves. the the other the, the second starting guard for the East was a really challenging equation. You mentioned uh, a lot of the guys that that I was thinking about as well. Uh, you know the the likes of of Kemba Walker. He's he he got off to such an amazing start to the season, but he's really cooled off, and and it also you know the the Charlotte Hornets have cooled off as a team as well. Uh, and and Ben Simmons, you know, he seems to be to me the 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 obvious candidate here. He's putting up uh, you know terrific numbers across the board. His numbers have improved you know since his Rookie of the Year campaign. But, you know, part of me still hopes that even though this is a meaningless exhibition game, that the roster makes sense. And putting Simmons out there as a guard, uh, you know, you're not going to have enough shooting on that Eastern Conference starting lineup, especially when we get into, you know, talking about the forwards and center that are going to be out there. Uh, so, so I've gone with Kyle Lowry. And, uh, you know, he has had a similar, uh, you know, season like Kemba where they both got off to extremely hot starts and they've cooled off significantly. You know, Lowry's uh, offensive numbers not that impressive, uh, averaging a little over 13 points a game and 41% from the field and 31 from three. But he still has a plus nine net rating. You mentioned the uh, the assist numbers. He's uh, one of the league leaders, and he's really done a great job of setting up guys like Siakam and Ibaka to have excellent seasons. And, you know, he still is a threat to shoot the ball from all over the floor. He's in constant motion. I think he's a guy that, uh, despite the the shooting numbers not being that impressive he had such a hot start to the season the the Raptors got off to I believe a 12 and 1 start and they were 3 and 1 without Kawhi in their first four and I think a lot of that is due to uh, the play of Kyle Lowry yeah and and, what I will uh, echo your point uh, on Lowry is he certainly is on my roster here is that uh, you mentioned Pascal Siakam and what I was worried about for Toronto's sake when they made the trade for Leonard uh, was uh, losing Jakob Pertl uh, when they sent him to San Antonio because 
very frequently under Dwayne Casey. Uh, Portal would uh, sometimes even come off the bench before Fred Van Vliet even did, and you know, there were you know, some rumblings about Fred Van Vliet winning six man of the year. Uh, and Lowry was still the, the point guard on the floor uh, during those sequences, and uh, the chemistry between those two guys, you know, as a Mavs fan, I remember uh, some time ago now, uh, Devin Harris and Brandon Wright uh, had that sort of connection both off the bench, of course, in this case, Lowry still being the starter, but uh, it's, it's interesting how, you know, some players have a certain level of chemistry, and uh, since Portal has departed, uh, they haven't really lost a step uh, with Lowry at, at the point guard position. I think, you know, now it does seem as though Van Vliet is coming off the bench first under Nick Nurse, but... Uh, yeah, he's kind of a poor man's Chris Paul, uh, and you know, I think without him, you know, Toronto would kind of be in a similar position uh, to a lot of other teams in the in the Eastern Conference that are just kind of you know hanging around, but you know, not making any noise like the Pistons. So, uh, yeah, Lowry. I think we both understand Lowry's value. I think you're thinking of the matchups a little bit more, so uh, that certainly makes some sense. Yeah, you know, as good as Kawhi Leonard is and the fact that he's on the roster now gives Toronto a legit shot to to challenge in the Eastern Conference. I think, you know, Kyle Lowry's play is going to be just as important come playoff time. He's got to be healthy, and I think he's suffered with uh, with some injuries as well, which has dragged down his numbers. But I think when he's healthy, he's he's one of the best point guards in the Eastern Conference. But uh, let's let's move on now to the uh, to the forward spots. Who do you got starting at the forwards in the in the Eastern Conference, Evan? Well, to me, uh, these are a little bit easier in that you know I think Giannis Antetokounmpo, you know, he's a little bit positionless in this day and age, uh, but he has proven himself, I think, to be you know. He, he sort of reminds me, you know, watching him play, uh, he, he reminds me a little bit, uh, retroactively, I guess, of uh, Zion Williamson, uh, in that he, he is this specimen on the court that can't, like, there's not there's not a, you know, a defensive uh, technique or set in the playbook uh, that is designed for someone who's seven feet tall, uh, but who, who can run like a, like a sub-buck, I should say. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can get up 94 feet. Uh, you know, obviously his three-point shooting is a bit of a liability, but when you factor in a 27-point-per-game score at that size, while not being somebody who you know has to rely with his back to the basket, you know, like so many other guys his size have had to do, uh, I think Giannis, you know, has proven that uh, he's going to be a force in the East playoffs. And now that they've got those other guys in Bledsoe and Middleton and Lopez, who I think was one of the best free agent signings in the last couple of seasons in the NBA, you know, they're, they're going to be a four studies. And then Kawhi Leonard, uh, I think would be my other guy. You know, there was, there were some trepidations, uh, up in Toronto about, uh, you know, there were some people in the organization reportedly that did push back on the notion of trading for him, but ownership and general manager, Masai Ujiri, uh, really pushed the idea hard, uh, to make the trade. Uh, you know, like the, uh, I bring that up, uh, as to say, that there was concern that as great as Leonard is on both ends, you know, he can be a little bit of a system guy. Uh, you know, so many guys that have gone to San Antonio and thrived there have struggled a little bit elsewhere, you know, and, and there have been some guys around the league, you know, a name that comes to mind is someone like DeWan Blair, uh, who was a really good rotational big man for the Spurs years ago, and then he went on to Dallas and then uh, to the Wizards and never really 
you know, found a place for himself and as good as Rick Carlisle and uh, uh, I guess it was Scott Brooks at the time are, you know, still are, uh, I don't think any of them really compare to the system that Greg Popovich and R.C. Buford and Chip England and the whole staff down there in San Antonio have implemented. So uh, Kawhi has clearly proven that he's above that. And, you know, they were willing to ship away DeRozan, Pirtle, who we talked about his value earlier, and, and a first-round pick. So, you know, I think I think getting Danny Green uh, as well in that trade has sort of helped with the transition. And, you know, because Leonard, I think, was so used to penetrating inside and upon the defense collapsing, you know, now he obviously doesn't have Marcus Aldridge to kick it out for a mid-range jumper, but instead he's kicking it out to Danny Green and Kyle Lowry for three-point shots, and they're hitting them. So uh, Leonard, I think, has been every bit as good as they could hope. And, you know, we never know. I mean, obviously, we know all the stories about him going to L.A., but there's no telling whether or not he may end up staying in Toronto. So I think his impact on the East and his impact on that team in particular gives him the starting three spot. And I guess I'll give uh, Giannis the four. So that's what I would go for forwards. Yeah, I think there's, you know, unlike the Western Conference, which, which we'll get to later, the, the forward spots are, are kind of uh, are, are a tough decision. I think the East, it's, it's pretty much a no-brainer that it's those two guys. I didn't even really have to have to think too hard on that. As you mentioned, Giannis putting up uh, MVP-like numbers on a Bucks team that's that's doing doing extremely well, one of the best net ratings uh, in the NBA. And then, of, of course, Kawhi Leonard. You know, he's uh, his offensive numbers are as good as ever. And uh, defensively, while I feel like he's taken a slight step back, he's still at an all-NBA defensive level. Uh, those two guys have clearly been the best forwards in the East, and they're on the two best teams in the East as well. Uh-huh, yeah. And, and Kawhi Leonard, you know, wherever he goes, uh, as a free agent, you know, I think his value uh, to whoever he ends up joining, whether that be the Lakers, the Clippers, you know, it, it has, I think, been proven that he can be uh, a franchise player, you know, regardless of where he goes. And look, we've seen how the Spurs in years past have been able to make almost anything work, you know, regardless of what they're a little bit like the New England Patriots that can just piece together undrafted guys, you know, tier three free agents, cast-offs. Uh, but, you know, this year, even though they've been able to sort of, you know, stumble their way through the Western Conference, and they're still, you know, very competitive there at the sixth seed. I believe they're 27 and 21. Uh, I don't think it would be wise to consider them uh, much of a championship threat to the Warriors or the Thunder or the Nuggets or any of those teams right that's sitting up at the top of the, of the table. So, uh, you know, and that I think has as much to do with the absence of Leonard as it does with the age of Aldridge. And, uh, you know, it goes without saying, I think Kawhi's value. Yes, in in last week's episode, Scott Levine and I uh, updated our top 30 player rankings, and he was both uh, on both of our lists. He was at number three, so yeah, he's uh, he's definitely got uh, you know an incredibly high value, and he's been playing at at an extremely high level. He's a very deserving starter this year. Okay, Evan, we've got one spot left on our Eastern Conference starting five. Who do you have as the East's starting center? Uh, well, I would go, I think, with Joel Embiid, I think would be my uh, starting center. Uh, just as a guy who, I think, when he comes off the floor uh, for the Sixers, uh, to me, they get a little bit helpless. Uh, you know, as good as Ben Simmons is, as good as uh, Jimmy Butler is, 
And you know, he, he's a guy, I think, for that franchise that Brett Brown and the entire Sixers regime, uh, I think, sort of has to prioritize over anybody else. You know, I think Ben Simmons, his shortcomings as a shooter and his inability, I think, to essentially to, to take over a game or even impact a game wire to wire uh, is an issue uh, that needs to be addressed. And I, whereas I think Joel Embiid, the ability to protect the basket, as well as uh, you know score, you know yes, well he does play you know, facing the basket more so than, than uh, with his back to the basket. The ability on both ends, I think that you know at JJ Reddick's age, uh, you know he's not as fluid getting up and down the court as he once was. I think having a little bit more attention uh, given to Joel Embiid in the middle defense is going to allow uh, Redick to just get just that little extra bit of space uh, that they need. And plus, you know, going forward, you know, with the trade deadline, uh, you know, pretty soon, uh, you know, if they had to trade for another shooter, uh, the Sixers, which would definitely be uh, at the top of their uh, priorities, uh, I think, you know, his his presence there in the middle. Uh, is going to help attract uh, a shooter, maybe another shooter in the offseason in free agency. So uh, I've got uh, Joel as my starting center. So I guess that means I've got Irvin, Walker, Giannis, Kawhi, and Embiid as my starting five. Yes, I, uh, I've i got Embiid as well. So we uh, we agreed on four of the five. Embiid just having a, uh, you know, his defense, as you stated, he showed how great he was on that end last season, I believe finishing in the top three in the Defensive Player of the Year voting and uh, the Sixers were such a dominant defense last year. They've slipped a little bit on that end, and, and Embiid was a little bit exposed in the playoffs last se- season against Al Horford having to defend out on the perimeter. But, uh, you know, his offensive game, I think, this year is what has uh, has really picked up, uh, averaging in the high 20s. He's getting to the free throw line pretty consistently. And, uh, you know, he, he is, uh, as you mentioned, uh, a guy that you would like to see back down a little bit more, but his face-up game is is pretty good. You know, he's uh, he's very fluid and agile for a seven foot one uh, mammoth of a man. You know, he he's just having a a, a terrific season, and and the Sixers are uh, are still trying to figure things out with Embiid, Simmons, and uh, and Butler. But uh, I think Embiid is the is the one guy out of the three that uh, that is the easiest to work around because he's uh, he's such a great two way player. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, even even just right now, you know. They're playing the Houston Rockets, and you know, while the Rockets, you know, with Clint Capella out, don't have themselves, uh, you know, the rim protector, the paint presence uh, themselves. You know, it, it does again. You know, Embiid is impacting the fence of the floor at such a level. You know, I don't know that the plus minus off the top of my head, it's got to be astronomical. And uh, so, you know, his value, I think, is uh, a little even, even for Joel Embiid. I think it's a little bit underrated. But, uh, I think he should be kind of prioritized up there in uh, Philadelphia, maybe just a tad over Ben Simmons. All right, so we've uh, we've got the starters. You have Kyrie, Kemba, Kawhi, Giannis, and Embiid. While as I have Embiid, Giannis, Kawhi, Kyrie, and uh, Kyle Lowry. So the only disagreement being Lowry versus uh, versus Kemba. And we both have said that uh, we've got the other guy on our reserves. So let's get into some of the, the reserves that you've got on the East bench. Do you have any uh, guys that you think are a definite lock that they should definitely be on this Eastern Conference All-Star team? 
Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, we, we've just spent, you know, the last few minutes uh, sort of talking about guys that have uh, carried, you know, a team on their back a little bit. I think somebody that definitely deserves that recognition is uh, Victor Oladipo. Uh, you know, as a guy in Indiana who, you know, they made the trade for him. You know, they were willing to surrender Paul George, albeit in a year where Paul George had made clear what his intentions were. And, uh, you know, at the time, you know, seeing what that trade had become uh, in that no draft picks were involved. And uh, Oladipo, who sort of had, you know, given himself the reputation as being a, you know, sort of a hit-or-miss offensive guy, you know, kind of a good defender, but, you know, not quite the three-and-D mold, just never quite exactly what you need it to be. But obviously being, you know, stuck essentially between Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant down there in Oklahoma City uh, made a difference. And now that he's, you know, running the show in Indiana, I think he's definitely deserving of that spot. And I think the other guy that, uh, as you said, would be a rock would be Bradley Beal in that, uh, you know, with John Wall going down, you know, Otto Porter is, you know, proving to become just more and more of a contract as opposed to an asset. And, uh, you know, it, it, the Wizards are sort of hanging on for dear, dear life. You know, they, they don't seem to get along. They don't seem to have much of a future with Scott Brooks. You know, they're sitting there at 20 and 26 uh, in the 10th seed. You know, so they've got, you know, all sorts of problems. And they're the kind of team that would be down there, I think, with the Knicks and the Cavs, you know. Uh, for going for Bradley Beal. So, you know, right off the top there, sort of the sixth and seventh guys, I think I'd have to go with Victor Oladipo and Bradley Beal. Yep, I've got both of those guys on, on my team as well. Yeah, Beal has, uh, is putting up basically 25-5-5 and five on, uh, on decent uh, true shooting and, and pretty high usage as well. Uh, he's, he's, he's very much shown that, uh, that he can be a, a number one creator. It's just the Wizards have... You know, have have not put anybody around him, especially after the wall injury, and and their defense has been has been awful as well. But yes, Beal is uh, is definitely a deserving All Star. Uh, you know, Oladipo, as you mentioned, not having quite as good of a year as he had last season, but he's still very clearly the best player on an Indiana team that's that's uh, that's doing extremely well and has one of the best defenses in the NBA. A couple of guys that uh, that I'll mention as uh, that as guys that I think are locks for me as well as. You know, another guy that's that's playing extremely well on on a team that's struggling a little bit uh, is Blake Griffin. Uh, you know, the fact that uh, that he's putting up pretty close to career high numbers uh, across the board and, and shooting the three ball pretty well and being really the the only guy on Detroit that's able to to create a shot. He has been he has been excellent, and he just simply like Beal does not have enough uh, talent around him. Yeah, he doesn't, and you know that they've even with the arrival of Dwayne Casey, they haven't been able to. I've got him on my team too. You know that they haven't been able to uh, figure out a way to space the floor better between him and Andre Drummond, and so it does seem as though on just his merits alone, on his just his ability, you know, even with a little bit of an injury history and some uh, tread on the tires, given all those playoff runs uh, as a Clipper, uh, he still can jump out of the gym, and, and you know he's still able to. Uh, Step around defenders with uh, you know a pretty good fluid motion. You know, as you said, he's improved steadily over the course of his career as a three-point shooter. Uh, defensively, you know, what he lacks in size as a shot blocker, he's a pretty good help defender. Kind of reminds me of Al Horford in that sense. And uh, you know, he's maybe a little bit more athletic Al Horford, maybe not quite the passer, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, as a guy you know on a Pistons team that is just so lacking in that backcourt. 
Uh, you know, they're still somehow trying to make this experiment with Reggie Jackson work. You know, Bruce Brown is getting all the minutes in the world now, even as a second-round pick just this past year. And, uh, you know, he's, he's been impressive, but he's got a long way to go before he's you know, the second-round pick mold of a Monty Morris or an Isaiah Thomas or someone like that. So uh, another guy I'll throw in there, uh, you know, is, is, you know, is uh, Ben Simmons, of course. You know, we've... Uh, you know, I think he's deserving of a spot on the bench. You know, I, obviously the arrival of Jimmy Butler has made his uh, role in the offense has compromised it somewhat. And I think you know, as we saw at the end of that game the other day uh, against uh, oh shoot, uh, the game that came right down uh, Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City, that's right. Thank you. Uh, you know, we saw the last possession uh, where Jimmy Butler ended up taking that last shot. Ben Simmons had a much better look. At it, but just his lack of confidence uh, to even take one jumper uh, is glaring. But still, you know the six eleven frame, you know the ability to score with both hands in the paint. Uh, I mean, he can be a little unstoppable. You know, I I don't quite buy into the notion that he's a jump shot away from LeBron James, uh, but he's not that far away from that designation. So uh, I've got him on my, on my Eastern Conference team as well. Yes, uh, we agree on that, and yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, he was uh, he was in contention to start for me. I just uh, um, I, I just like to have a, a roster that that has a little bit of a chance to actually win the All Star game if they were uh, an actual team. And if you've got Embiid, Giannis, uh, and Ben Simmons all in the starting lineup, you you certainly don't have enough shooting to really uh, to really do that well. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he's he's definitely a deserving uh, guy to be on the bench. He's uh, he's putting up career high rebounding numbers. He's still putting up uh, about eight assists a game. And uh, as you mentioned, the scoring is a bit of a problem. You know, the jump shot obviously has been has been well talked about. But uh, you know, he he's a guy that I think has gone into the post a little bit more. And uh, Brett Brown has used him kind of more as. Uh, uh, when he's off the ball in that kind of dunker's spot, which has has made things easier, he's he's so athletic and fluid that uh, in that position, when he gets the ball near the hoop, he's he's pretty effective. So uh, they they've been able to find ways uh, to to keep him effective on the offensive end. But you're right that uh, if if he were given a you know the complete reins and a team was built around him, uh, he he certainly wouldn't be LeBron James. Although I, I would like to see what a Ben Simmons-led team could possibly do out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, one more point about Simmons. I mean, this guy, this is a guy who, you know, has been in the NBA now for, you know, this is his second full season uh, on the court. And, I mean, that, that's been over 180 games almost that he's going to have ended up playing given both playoff runs. And uh, the guy has attempted 11 three-pointers in his career. And, you know, DeAndre Jordan has attempted not, you know, just for some perspective. So, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a liability. And, you know, it's something that the Sixers know about. It's something that all of his opponents know about. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's going to be an issue. And, you know, obviously, at some point, that Sixers offense is going to be lacking. And perhaps the Eastern Conference uh, offense is going to be lacking. But we know how, how defense is played in these all-star games. So, uh, maybe he'll just take one uh, or, or two in the All-Star game. We'll see. Can I just say I love that you actually uh, looked up how many threes DeAndre Jordan has attempted in his career. <laughs> but uh, let me uh, let me throw in another guy that I've got on my bench, and that is uh, Nikola Vucevic. He, uh, he has been absolutely terrific for Orlando and has, uh, has really kept them in the hunt in the East. 
His offensive numbers are just off the charts, shooting the three ball extremely well. Uh, he's he's an incredibly uh, effective post player and, uh, you know, a, a pretty decent passer to boot. Yeah, it, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that. I got him on my team as well. Uh, I'm, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I should say I'm a little stunned that we're this close to the trade deadline on, you know, whatever this is, January 21st, and... Uh, there's literally no. We don't seem to get be getting much chatter. Uh, I mean, he seems to me to be the perfect guy uh, for a team in need of some, you know, a little bit of a scoring punch or just, just you know, maybe they're pretty good at four or five positions. And they're looking for or three or four positions that are kind of looking for a season-long rental. Uh, you know, at the center position, uh, Vucevic is sitting there. You know, at 28 years old, they've just drafted Mohamed Bamba. Uh, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily in their long-term plans. Uh, you know, Vucevic is such a talented scorer around the basket, very old-school player, uh, can dominate the boards. We saw that in his 30-20 and 20 game earlier earlier this season. You know, it's kind of a new era, in a sense, in the NBA, where there are a lot more productive centers around the league. But some of the best defensive centers have struggled against him this year. You know, Embiid has... Uh, has struggled a little bit. Andre Drummond, you know, has had some issues with him. Uh, DeAndre Jordan had a really tough time with him. So uh, he's gotten his own uh, in some games you know, as well against some other really good defensive teams across the board, like the Celtics. So uh, he's definitely deserving of a spot. And I think if he were perhaps in a more glamorous market, he might even be, you know, a starter in most people's eyes. Yeah, so I'm curious to hear, you know, you mentioned the idea of uh, Vucevic, uh, and, and there's there's not really any rumors in terms of potential trades. You know, he's 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 a really solid player. Again, we both see him as a, as a legitimate all-star. But my question to you is, you know, what kind of team would you imagine uh, would be looking for, for a trade for him? Because in my eyes... You know, a team that's really got their eyes on competing for a championship and is maybe one piece away. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be that guy because I, I see a similar trend to like you know Enos Cantor with Oklahoma City. You know, and, a, uh, and another guy that's a really talented offensive center, good rebounder, but struggles on the defensive end a little bit. I see Vucevic as a, as a guy that that could get exploited on that end of the floor against the very best teams. But you know, for a team say that's uh, you know in the in the nine and ten spot, uh, you know, trying to get into the playoffs and and that being their goal, certainly he, he would make sense in that situation. Yeah, he could. I mean, I'll I'll throw in uh, the San Antonio Spurs uh, as a potential option there. You know, they've got some assets there on the bench. I think, or particularly at the point guard position, that's where Orlando is uh, really in need of uh, just something, anything. Uh, you know, when you've got basically nothing, you know, even as well as DJ Augustine has played, uh, he's just never going to be a long-term option, uh, you know, at the position that you're going to look for in the near future or the distant future, whereas, you know, a Derek Murray, maybe a healthy DeJounte Murray, Gordon Forbes, you know, I could see Orlando being potentially interested in that, maybe if you attach a draft pick and then for Spurs' sake, you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, as good a score as he is, you know, we've seen how when he's not directly near the basket, uh, their rebounding is just completely compromised. And, and uh, you know, David Lee basically being in semi-retirement at this point as a free agent, and Jakob Poto only being on the bench. I could see the Spurs, you know, maybe making a look for that. And Pavisol's kind of his career is kind of running on fumes. So, uh, and you know, they're right in that range that you mentioned. You know, sitting there at the uh, 
They are at the sixth spot, but you know how it is in the West. They're only two games uh, out ahead of the Lakers for the ninth seed. So uh, I could see San Antonio as an option. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned uh, Jakob Pertl earlier, and and I'm a, a fan of his as well. But certainly, uh, Greg Popovich has, has shown a tendency with young bigs to uh, to pull them pretty early if they make mistakes. And I've seen on multiple occasions where Pertl will come into the game, commit a foul within the first couple of possessions, and immediately be pulled out. It's uh, it's it's pretty funny to see. But but yeah, that's that's an interesting that's an interesting idea. Um, and you know Orlando's still kind of hanging in there because the East is 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 so putrid near the bottom. You know they're kind of in that category of teams that are still potentially trying to fight for a playoff spot. Yeah, they are. They're only two games uh, behind the Hornets uh, for that eight spot. And you know, by that logic, you know, who's to say they couldn't potentially make a run? And then you know, just when your guts, you know, looks at the fact that the Milwaukee Bucks, as of their win today, uh, are the top seed. Uh, you just don't equate the Milwaukee Bucks with being a team that's going to thrive in the playoffs. That's not the craziest environment to play in. And so, you know, stranger things have happened than them potentially upsetting them and, you know, keeping a guy like Vucevic around, you know, to, to bang around in the paint with uh, Brooke Lopez and Rosan Ilyasova, you know. Uh, I mean, who's to say that they, they might, you know, decide to trade Mo Bamba before they trade Vucevic? And I think in an ideal world, Mo Bamba is just a more defensive version of Nikola Vucevic, and so I think my last guy that I've got to round out that 12 in the East, I think, would be uh, Chris Middleton. Uh, you know, I, I think early in the season, you know, the way he, he got started, uh, he would, to me, sort of be a good candidate for the first team All-NBA. Uh, that wingspan at 6 foot 8, he's got like a 7-4 wingspan, uh, you know, 17 points a game. Uh, you know, it's his best season scoring the ball. Uh, he's shooting incredibly well. He's got the mid-range game now. And so many teams that have that elite wing, uh, like the Bucks do, uh, with uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo lack sort of a secondary option. And that might hurt the Raptors in the playoffs, given that, you know, they've got Kawhi. But, you know, Danny Green, you know, they, they could use themselves uh, – sort of a secondary option uh, on the wing and the Rockets with James Harden playing the two, the three, that combo position, uh, they're going to need themselves, you know, a better option you know, which, like in terms of length for defense, which Trevor Reza played so well. Uh, Middleton has been doing that at an exceptional level uh, for them, and I, I don't think that they have 34 wins uh, at this juncture of the season without him, so... I've got Middleton rounding out my top 12. I guess I'm a little heavy on the forwards, but uh, I think he's deserving of the spot. Yeah, he uh, he just missed for me, and I certainly agree with a lot of what you've said. You know, he uh, he's he's putting up solid offensive numbers, albeit he's been kind of streaky throughout the year. He got off to a scorching start and then went through a cold period and, and has maybe picked it up a little bit as of late. But uh, you know, yeah, he's uh, you know he's he's solid defensively. He's uh, he's a guy that can play off the ball and on the ball and, and create if you need him to. So yes, he's he's been a big reason why the Bucks have have been have been uh, so good this year. But I would almost say that uh, you know the Bucks have three or four guys that are uh, kind of in contention. You know, you look at the backcourt for that team, and, and Bledsoe and Brogdon also have had really solid seasons, and of course Brooke Lopez absolutely. Uh, on fire from uh, from three point range this season, so I almost think it's Giannis and, and a very much a, a collection of the entire starting unit that uh, has been has been really good for Milwaukee. 
So that's kind of why I, I don't look at Middleton as like the clear go-ahead number two guy on that team. And that's why I kind of I don't have him on there. But the guy that I have uh, is is Miles Turner, and uh, you know he's he's not putting up amazing counting stats. I think he's around 13 points and seven rebounds, but he's leading the league in block shots at 2.8. And you know it, it it's not a matter of those block shots being kind of of the um, you know DeAndre Jordan variety where it's real athletic and he makes some highlight plays but then a lot of times he's out of position Miles Turner has been one of the best defensive players in the entire league one of the leading candidates for defensive player of the year this year and the Pacers you know you you started to see the signs of their defense really coming uh, into a groove during the the playoffs last year against the Cavs where they held down the LeBron-led Cavs offense uh, pretty well in that seven-game series lost, and that defense has translated into this regular season, and Miles Turner, along with Oladipo, are the key reasons for that. Yeah, Miles Turner, you know, I, I think you definitely have a point in that, you know, the block shots or the less gl- glamorous you know, variety. Uh, you know, he does average just under three a game. Uh, he's sort of your old-fashioned defensive anchor, uh, you know, the perimeter defense that they do get out of Oma Depot, you know, they don't quite get the same maybe out of, you know, Tyreek Evans. They certainly don't out of Doug McDermott. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, he does definitely cover up for a lot of errors on that end. He would probably get my vote uh, for Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, maybe it may be a close second you know, uh, behind Paul George, but uh, he's definitely become, I think, one of those players that, you know, should, should he become an unrestricted free agent, uh, could sort of slip through the cracks, you know, coming from a team like the Pacers, whereas every single year there's a Kevin Durant or, you know, someone like that who becomes available. So uh, I definitely like having Miles Turner. I do think Middleton, you know, just narrowly edges him out for me, but I could see it both ways for sure. So one glaring absentee on both of our lists, which I feel like we'll get to, uh some people complaining about that are listening to this is Jimmy Butler. And I'd like to hear, before I go into my reasoning, I'd like to hear your thoughts as to why Butler didn't make your team. Well, you know, Jimmy Butler, uh, for all of his greatness, uh, is, I think, you know, the word fraud is the strong word uh, for someone who, you know, is averaging 20 points a game. Uh, but I just look at him and, and you know, as someone who, you know, is on a team with who was on a team with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, he, you sort of expected him to, uh, it, you know, maybe not find himself to be the number one option given how great Carl Anthony Towns is at least offensively. Uh, but he never carved out a role for himself really in any sense. Uh, he wasn't really the number two option. You know, Andrew Wiggins was. Uh, you know, maybe even the usage rate numbers might suggest something else. Andrew Wiggins was definitely getting that ball more in the kind of high leverage situations, uh, which should not have been the case. And uh, Jeff Teague, you know, sort of routinely wasn't able to get him the ball. And so I think those that combined with the drama was part of the reason that uh, they were willing to ship him, albeit with a very nice package in return from the Sixers. And now we look at him with Philadelphia and. You, know, you sort of think, you know, the best defensive teams in recent years in the NBA, you know, dating back to the Kobe and Shaq years, had that sort of combination of an elite perimeter defender as well as an elite rim protector. 
Uh, and they have, the Sixers have themselves the elite, elite rim protector in Joel Embiid, and Jimmy Butler has been anything but the elite defender this season. And, uh, you know, I think watching him sort of not have himself an ideal role on either team he's played for this season uh, sort of compromises that. I could certainly see it if he makes it, you know, he is a great player, uh, and he's going to make the Sixers a little bit better. I certainly don't think he's the thing that pushes them over the top. And I think losing Covington and Sarge is really going to hurt them, uh, especially in the playoffs with Covington shooting uh, and Sarge just rebounding. You know, neither of those things are, are Butler's strengths. So uh, it's going to be a challenge, I think, for the Sixers as they're still kind of trying to incorporate him, even in this game against the Houston Rockets in the first half. Uh, you, know, you would think in an ideal world with a defender with his capability that you could put him on a score like James Harden. And they haven't. You know, they've been putting Wilson Chandler on him for, for the majority of the first half. So, and Corey Brewer, even, who they just picked up off the street. So, uh, everywhere he's gone, even back to his days in Chicago, you know, they're kind of trying to figure out a role for him. So, I, I just I can't see a perfect way that he makes the all-star team given sort of the turbulent season he's had. Yes, I uh, I completely agree with, with every point you just made. And, and, you know, a lot of people will you know, select their all-stars based on, you know, track record. And certainly he's got a, a very good past history of, of being an excellent basketball player. But, you know, there's a reason they do these these all-star games every single season. So you've got to base your vote on on uh, on what they've done for these 40, 45 games. And, and yeah, he, he essentially sabotaged, Zach Lowe said this on his uh his recent podcast with Kevin Arnovitz, you know, if you if you spend the first 13 games sabotaging your team, you know, you just are disqualified from the All Star game that season. Yeah, exactly. And now, to be clear, let me let me clarify: like he, he is injured for this game against the Rockets. So, I mean, you know, who's to say he may not be on it? But just the matchup of you know having Wilson Chandler is a kind of different, differently built guy, kind of a more stocky player. Uh, you know, leads me to believe that Brett Brown, you know, kind of sees something there that, you know, and we saw him a couple turns against Russell Westbrook and, and uh, Paul George too, Wilson Chandler, that is, in that other game that we talked about earlier. So, uh, I think you and I are on the same page there. So, uh, I'll just mention some other guys that I that I considered that were uh, that that just missed my list. Of course, Demontis Sabonis on Indiana putting up excellent numbers, albeit in a bench role against second unit guys. Andre Drummond putting up you know amazing rebounding numbers again, albeit I I, I don't feel like he uh, he's really impacting winning that much. You know, Eric Bledsoe for uh, for Milwaukee. Uh, is having a, a really solid year. Marcus Morris for the Celtics, you know, shooting the heck out of the ball. And uh, again, uh, other than Kyrie, has been their most consistent player. Pascal Siakam having a great season. You know, I, I haven't heard a lot of people talk about Serge Ibaka for the All Star game, but uh, the guy has shot the mid range shot, uh, you know, at an unbelievably high level. And, uh, you know, he's scoring the basketball. And, and again, with Lowry's struggles a little bit offensively. His offensive production has been has been really big for for the Raptors. A guy in Spencer Dinwiddie for Brooklyn. You know, Brooklyn all of a sudden is, uh, I believe, in the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference. He's been probably, uh, arguably, their best player uh, after the the Karis Levert injury, and uh, and JJ Redick for Philadelphia as well, having having another great year. Yeah, yeah. I, I, Spencer Dinwiddie's my guy uh, for that sort of quote unquote biggest snub. Uh, you know, he's had himself a really nice year and. You know, I, I, 
as a find in the sense that you know the Mets have obviously been so deprived with draft picks to that infamous trade. Uh, you know, D'Angelo Russell was sort of the guy that they had to finagle themselves into acquiring. Uh, Rodney Hollis Jefferson has you know kind of disappointed in terms of being like a proven commodity uh, in that sort of Chris Middleton role, I guess, if you will. But Spencer Dinwiddie really hasn't. Uh, he's been outstanding. It's kind of a do-it-all win. Sits six foot six. You know, still on that rookie scale contract. Uh, he's been excellent, I think, on both ends of the for the athleticism. You know, we remember you know back a, a year ago around this time when the Cleveland Cavaliers basically blew up their entire roster uh, and made like four separate trades or whatever it was. Uh, they offered uh, their first round pick that year to get Spencer Dinwiddie, and part of their goal that season was to get a little bit more athletic. You know, they had the corpse of Isaiah Thomas, Dwayne Wade, Jay Crowder. You know, they really lacked the athleticism on that team. They went out and got themselves Rodney Hood and George Hill, and they tried to go get themselves Spencer Dinwiddie. Obviously, the deal didn't pan out. But uh, the other guy I would mention, just you know, as somebody who I think is. Somewhat deserving, maybe not. You know, a slam dunk would be Aaron Gordon uh, for the Orlando Magic. Uh, you know, he, uh, you know, Orlando. Obviously, we talked about Vucevic. You know, Gordon is quietly putting up sixteen and eight uh, down there in Orlando. I think that he is truly their best long-term asset at just you know what is he twenty-three years old, uh, whereas Vucevic is twenty-eight, and they're probably you know sort of investigating his potential trade value. And, you know, without much of a point guard you know, for the future to build around, you know, him and Mobamba, I think, are sort of those pillars. And uh, he's come such a long way since coming into the, in, in the NBA. So, yeah, I think I'd go with Dinwiddie and Aaron Gordon. Yeah, Aaron Gordon's an interesting pick. You know, he's he's obviously got uh, athleticism and uh, and and some dynamism to his game and and he's he's continued to improve the jump shot he he just hasn't quite found uh you know a, a perfect role in in Orlando and and unfortunately you know they've been they've been kind of drafting uh, at his position the last couple of years in the like with the likes of Isaac and and Bamba which has has kind of forced him to play more of the 3 when i feel like he's he'd probably be best at the at the 4 position long term but uh, but yeah he's he's an interesting pick and uh, so that's basically all we have for the Eastern Conference. Let's uh, let's move on to the West and let's hear who you have in the starting backcourt for the Western Conference, Evan. Uh, yeah, I think the starting backcourt, you know, is an interesting one given that there are some guys around the league who have uh, sort of proven to be a little bit more unstoppable than some others. But I think just in terms of who's having the best seasons, uh, I think I'd go with Harden uh, basically as my point guard. Uh, you know, Chris Paul's absence uh, has been uh, obviously a huge negative for that team, and you know, his defensive intensity, even at his age, uh, and, and the injury history is sorely, sorely missed. And you know, the, the passing, the three-point shooting, the mid-range jump shot, uh, even in the fourth quarter, you know, when backsides get tight and you know, it's crunch time, uh, you know, having that second guy to you know have the ISO option for. Uh, James Harden has done every last thing you could possibly do. Uh, in fact, I think this last month you know, for him has been one of the greatest single tears uh, that we've ever seen, really, at least in recent history. And, uh, the other guy, you know, out of the two, I think I'd have to go with Paul George. You know, I think this has been his best season. Uh, you know, he's become such a proficient mid-range shooter in that, you know, and considering what a dying part of the NBA 
kind of slows them back and forth until he finds his shooting rhythm. Uh, has been so, so good for them, given Russell Westbrook's shortcomings as a shooter. Uh, we all know that he's a lethal three-point shooter, and I think this has been his best defensive season of his career. He's always been a good defender, you know, always been somebody that you can have on the court at the end of the game when you're up one and the other team has the ball with five seconds left. Uh, but this season, he has been on total lockdown as a defender, and I think the combination of Harden and Paul George is a really good combination of shooting, uh, length, passing, step-back three balls, which is something you have to admire. Both of them are kind of similar in that they can just rise up over a defender and shoot it, uh, kind of the way Paul Pierce used to do. So uh, that would be my starting backcourt. I know it's a little asinine to leave Stephen Curry out of there, but uh, just to me, I think those are the two guys who have the best season. Okay, so it's interesting because I have both Harden and uh, Paul George in my starting lineup, but I have Paul George as a forward, which, you know, he, he plays sometimes at the two and sometimes at the three with Oklahoma City. But uh, I have Curry and Harden in there, and, and Curry, what he's doing this season is just absolutely unreal. You know, he's putting up near 2015-16 unanimous MVP-like numbers. You know, he's he has missed some games, which I'm sure is part of why you have him out. Uh, you know, he's missed, I think, close to 10 games or more. But, but uh, you know, he's he's shooting over 45% from three on over 11 attempts a game. His true shooting percentage is, is, uh, is near 67%. It's just absolutely outrageous, and, and he's doing it on nearly 30 points a game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, as I said, it, it is a little asinine to leave him out there. I mean, again, you know, for me, I, I think he's sort of factor in the the whole argument of, you know, the open shot factor, you know, given that so many defenses are having to respond to the other Splash Brother and the other former MVP and all that. But, yeah, I mean, Stephen Curry, you know, the the, the greatness is unprecedented as a shooter. And, uh, you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of interesting this season to watch the Warriors now that uh, Boogie is on the court and, uh, how they've sort of begun to implement uh, a little bit of Mark Jackson's old offensive philosophy there, given that they, you know, they brought in Jonas Jurebko and let go of JaVale McGee. You know, Mark Jackson kind of liked those big men who could step out and shoot it a little bit. And, of course, Cousins is someone who can do that. Uh, that was never really Steve Kerr's thing, even though you know Draymond Green, you, know, you could technically classify him as a big, but you know, he just, just doesn't play that way. And uh, so it's going to be interesting to see if Steve Kerr, you know, kind of adjusts to that. I know that Steph, you know, the guy we're talking about here, will adjust seamlessly. Uh, but, you know, I think I just uh, – Paul George, given that he's been playing the two defensively, you know, uh, is something that we have to account for. And, uh, you know, I think yeah, – look, for the West, you know, Steph's going to be a hell of a sixth man, so – uh, you know, he's, we talk about LeBron being from Akron so much. You know, I think he's Stephen Curry is the pride of Akron, Ohio, just as much. Yeah, the um, the the comment about uh, Steve Kerr and, and using some bigs that can shoot really he hasn't had any of any of those types of players since uh, since Maurice Spates back on that uh, you know the the 2015-16 team that lost in the finals. I still believe that uh, if Kerr had played Spates more instead of. Uh, Festus Azili in that game seven, the Warriors would have won that. But uh, 
Yeah, it's it's going to be really fascinating to see how how Cousins incor- is incorporated as the season goes along. But uh, Curry obviously having a fantastic year, and and I wanted to talk a little bit more. You mentioned Harden, the 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 run he's on is basically unprecedented. You know, he's putting up numbers that uh, that are similar to to Jordan and Kobe in in some of their best scoring runs. But you know, the biggest factor of all that, despite putting up a ton of points you know the Rockets are, are winning games despite the fact that they uh, you know they don't have Paul or uh, Capella yeah they don't right and you're, you're seeing how Daryl Moore and uh, everybody up there in Houston is uh, trying to sort of piece together some semblance of a bench you know Austin Rivers uh, you know he can drive you crazy you know but yeah he'll knock down a big shot for you here and there and you know of course now they're bringing uh, Kenneth Fareed you know it's just with the, with the contracts that that team has, you know, already given to Harden, of course, and to Capella, and to Paul, uh, the resources are obviously extremely limited. And, you know, Eric Gordon himself is on a pretty sizable deal. You know, thank God they got off of that Ryan Anderson contract. But, uh, you know, yes, it, it, it's going to be, you know, I don't know that even James Harden is going to be able to stay on this kind of a run. Uh, for that much longer, and I, I, th- I just think he's deserving of the point guard designation, you know, for this type of a game. Obviously, you know, he's sort of traditionally known to be a shooting guard. Uh, once Chris Paul gets back, you know, he'll be a little bit more interchangeable. But yeah, that's my backcourt. I obviously understand having Steph in the starting lineup, but uh, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of give or take either way. So uh, for for my forwards, you know, you mentioned Paul George. I have him as uh, as one of my starting forwards. Yes, he's. I completely agree with everything you said. He's having a, a spectacular season on both ends of the floor, and offensively, he's really taken a leap. He's he's attempting uh, far more threes than he has before, and and he's knocking them down at about thirty eight percent. His usage percentage is uh, is over twenty nine, and with Russell Westbrook struggling shooting the basketball as he has this season. The Thunder really have needed Paul George to step up and be that number one scorer for this team, and, and he's done that extremely well while maintaining uh, the, the really impressive defense. And my other forward is uh, is Kevin Durant. You know, he, him and Steph have both been absolutely fantastic, and, and, you know, guys like Draymond and Clay Thompson have struggled for the Warriors, but they're right there near the top of the West in large part, I think, because of their top two guys. Yeah, I mean... You know, I, I think certainly the argument uh, makes sense there to have to win. Uh, I guess you have him as a power forward. Uh, I think Kevin Durant, you know, in the, in, the, in the sort of hypothetical scenario I have with Paul George being the two, uh, for, you know, that's sort of prioritizing the length of the defensive ability more. I, I have him listed as my uh, small forward. Uh, and then, you know, I think you it does sound like you're uh, – that you and I may be on the same page here and that we're leaving LeBron uh, off the island here first. Is that correct? That is correct. And, and in large part because of the missed games. And not only, you know, he's missed, I believe, one more game than, than Steph has up to this point. But even heading into the All-Star break, it looks like LeBron's going to miss some more. Yeah, yeah. So I would agree with you there. I, I, would have, I have Durant uh, at the three and uh, Anthony Davis uh, as my power forward. I think he, you know, he sort of came into the league as the, as the four. Obviously, he plays a lot of five these days, but just, I mean, like the God-given ability at both ends, you know, grabbing every single rebound that comes off the board, you know, being, I still think, the best rim defender in the NBA. Uh, you know, he can get you 38 points every night, you know, and he, uh, I think, is the only real reason that uh, the Orleans, you know, even 
time. Drew Holiday has taken a step back from that, you know, outstanding season he had a season ago. And then, you know, Darius Miller and, and you know, the rest of that crew in New Orleans are just kind of, it's a little bit of a makeshift roster in the sense they've kind of just got a bunch of wings, you know, Alfred Payton's of the world and, uh, you know, losing Rondo, I think it is uh, an issue. You know, Miritich, uh, when they bring Miritich in, into the game, you know, I think Anthony Davis uh, having him closer to the basket it does help them defensively. Uh, it sort of makes life a little bit harder for them, I think, offensively in that having Davis, you know, be able to sort of step out towards uh, the arc and you know, be a little bit more dynamic of, of an offensive score. And then, of course, Miritich is just kind of left by himself on an island as a, as a spot-up three-point shooter. So uh, I think AD as a power forward makes the most sense uh, with Durant as my uh, three. Okay, so, yeah, I... Um... I went real crazy. Not only did I uh, did I leave LeBron on my bench, I left Anthony Davis on the bench as well. You know, he's obviously putting up ab, you know monster monster numbers. But my center, and in, in large part why he's he's been put to the bench, is a guy that is on a team that not only has had a, a lot of injuries like the uh, the Pelicans have suffered, but they have actually continued to win despite that, and that is Nikola Jokic. Uh-huh. So I've got uh, Harden, uh, PG, uh, Durant, AD, and Jokic, and uh, I think you'll agree with this. You know, Jokic, uh, you know, as it, it's it's kind of interesting when you watch the guy play. You know, he, he's sort of a stiff, you know, kind of. In, it's never very pretty you know, watching the guy play. You know, he's sort of this kind of lumbering, stumbling player up and down the court, but. The, the ability that he has to score from any angle, so you know, sort of compared to a quarterback being able to throw off of any platform, uh, you know, he's obviously added a lethal three-point shot to his game. He's an elite free-throw shooter for his size. He's made significant strides defensively. And you know, with, with like a, a lot of teams you know, that are as deep as the Nuggets are, you do sort of need that uh, number one kind of alpha player. Uh, and you know, we see that with the Celtics a little bit this season when Kyrie misses a game. They sort of have a lot of good pieces, uh, but there's no kind of general out there. And we're seeing that with Denver where, you know, Jamal Murray, Will Barton, Gary Harris, you know, they've had some injury problems, but they, you know, by and large, they're all out there together. And then the guys off the bench, Malik Beasley, Trey Lyles, Monty Morris, they're all playing well. Eventually they'll get Isaiah Thomas on the court. But Jokic has been the alpha dog. You know, he's been the... A-plus sort of give you five-star guy uh, that has just made everything click for them. And, uh, you know, it's been so good to watch. It's something about those foreign players, am I right? You know, it's just something about that flair that they seem to play with. And uh, uh, he's had himself quite a season thus far. Yeah, his uh, his passing is just at a whole nother level. You know, you, you hear announcers talk about the best big men passers in the game and you know they they lump other players in with Jokic, and I just think that's unfair. I think Jokic is at just a, a whole tier to himself in terms of being a big man passer. Uh, the the stuff he sees in terms of the give and goes, and even just the touch passes he makes. You know, you you watch a Denver Nuggets game, and there will be two or three times where you're just wowed by something that he pulls off. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, you know, he is a seven feet tall guy, but he plays like he's about twenty feet tall, and that he's able to just 
it's like he can see, you know, over the top of everything that's happening. And, uh, you know, the, it, 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 you know the, the offensive system that Michael Malone has, has implemented has Nikola Jokic kind of centered right there in the middle, sort of at the, you know, high arc. And, you know, they can run so many different sets for him. You know, Denver's not, you know, the world's greatest three-point shooting team. And yet they're still able to get so many good looks for themselves. I, I think of him as sort of a more, just kind of a better Mark Gasol than Mark Gasol is a Mark, himself. You know, he is every bit the passer that Mark, Mark Gasol has been. He's a little bit more athletic. He's got the hook shot. He can step out and shoot it a little bit better. Uh, he's just an all-around star. And I think anybody that comes into Denver in the playoffs is going to have themselves uh, a real, real tough test, especially given the rest of that supporting cast that we've uh, elaborated on. So that's my starting five. I certainly understand leaving uh, Anthony Davis on the bench. Uh, but, you know, I think the combination of those two, they'll basically be getting every rebound that comes off the board. And uh, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, so so for me, the first couple of guys off the bench is LeBron and Davis, and for you, it's LeBron and Curry. So who uh, who are some of the other guys that you think are, are locks to make this team that uh, we haven't mentioned yet? Uh, you know, I think anytime you average a triple double, uh, you know, you're deserving of an All Star designation. Uh, Russell Westbrook is on his way. It's just you can't even believe you're saying it to doing that for a third consecutive season. It's just. Uh, I mean, it, it, to say it's mind-boggling does not do it justice. I mean, you know, the shooting is obviously not, you know, his strength, and it's never been his strength. Uh, but to go 22, 10, and 11, uh, essentially for the third consecutive year, while also sharing the court with another guy who's going to be an all-star one way or another, uh, and, you know, Steven Adams and Dennis Schroeder. You know, it, it's just incredible to watch a guy play. The only reason I don't have him as a starter is because I think James Harden, you know, at the end of the day, basketball's about scoring, and nobody is doing that better than James Harden. And Paul George, given what he's done on the defensive end, but, you know, that's a whole side of it as well, uh, has, uh, I think he's deserving of Defensive Player of the Year. So, it, it, you know, Russell Westbrook, uh, I think is kind of my first guy off the bench, along with LeBron James, uh, and then Damian Lillard as well. You know, he uh, very quietly again, averaging 27 a game. You know, I don't know if it's the fact that it's the Portland market or that he's sharing the floor with CJ McCollum, but you know, this is pretty consistent for this guy. You know, and he's become a better shooter each year that he's been in the league. The penetration skills, the handle, the free throw shooting. Uh, you know, he's a little bit better than a poor man's James Harden, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, you know, the athleticism is kind of unparalleled, honestly, throughout the rest of the Western Conference. I think Westbrook is the only guy that kind of does that. And the other thing I love about Lillard is that he never seems to cheat the game. Uh, you know, he's sort of always giving it his all. Uh, every shot he takes, you know, even if it's just a random end of the shot clock, jacked up three, uh, you know, it's sometime in the middle of November. Uh, he's shooting it, you know, with the same conviction and confidence that he did in that buzzer beater over Chandler Parsons in the playoffs. So uh, he would definitely be somebody. I think Paul. I think Damian Lillard, Russell Westbrook, and LeBron would be my first three uh, to come off the bench. So if if Lillard is a is a little bit better than a poor man's James Harden, that must make him uh, a middle class James Harden. But uh, he. Uh, 
He's, uh, yeah, he's had an excellent year, and uh, I'm really happy that uh, we finally have our first, like, major disagreement, because we've been uh, pretty much agreeing with with each other so far. Uh, I don't have Russell Westbrook on my all-star team, Uh, and uh, I get that he's averaging a triple-double, and that's really impressive. I've always kind of felt like that has been overvalued, just putting up those numbers. He obviously is uh, is still a great athlete, and, and he has an impact on the game, but you know, if you shoot about 23% from downtown on close to five attempts a game, he, he's the worst three-point shooter in high volume in NBA history. And his his true shooting percentage is at about 47%, and his usage rate is over 31. You know, you, you use that many possessions at that low of an efficiency, there's no, you know, the, the Thunder are 18th in the NBA in offense. They're a below-average offense. And uh, the defense, you know, is, is really the reason the Thunder are winning basketball games. They're fourth in the NBA in defense. And I would say I would give credit to Paul George and Steven Adams as the main reasons why they're that high in defense. And, and I wouldn't give as much credit on that end to Russell Westbrook. Now, you're certainly right about the defensive end. Uh, it, that's something I've always lamented about him is – uh, given the athleticism that he has, the ability to st- like you know get the quickness as light as he is on his feet, uh, that he is, has never been as good a defender as he should be. Uh, I'm 100% with you on that front, uh, and I do also get this get the argument that he, he's one of those guys that uh, is always putting up these outrageous sort of ridiculous stat lines. But at the same time, he's, you know, but is never quite doing enough, you know, to actually, uh, you know, sort of move the ball down the field a little bit. Uh, it's a little hard to kind of find a comparison for the guy, uh, you know. He's, but in a sense, though, at the same time, I, I do wonder, you know, in terms of somebody that you, you sort of like, you know, Russell Westbrook is that type of player that I think is all. It, whether a shot is coming off the board, whether a shot is going up from the three-point line, whether there's a fast break for either team, whether there's an out-of-bounds play at the end of the game, it's something like that. Russell Westbrook is always involved, and you know the coast-to-coast athleticism, the you know sort of never-quit, relentless pit bull attitude that he's got. Uh, to me, just gets him in there. I certainly don't have him as a starter because I'm totally with you on that. And if I were starting the team today, I think I'd get several point guards ahead of him. In fact, uh, you know, Harden and Curry would you know would be uh, the first couple there. Uh, you know, I, he's kind of the opposite of Kyrie Irving in the sense that they're both supreme offensive talents, but a little weaker on the defensive end. Whereas Kyrie makes his money a little bit more so with the uh, ability to sort of finish around the basket while also being a really, really good shooter. Whereas Westbrook is just attacking the basket with full force on every play and leaping up for every single rebound. So I think just when you do average a triple-double, uh, while the efficiency is certainly not there and the defense is not quite there, I'm 100% with you on that. To me, it's just, a, I don't know, I, I can't quite go there. Uh, you know, it's... I've already done something asinine enough leaving Stephen Curry and LeBron James off of my team, so uh, so I you know just just to spare me a little less retribution for the for the basketball guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave them in there. 
the the Westbrook thing is is certainly it's it's interesting and and I I understand all of your arguments and you know despite the fact that I just uh, you know bad mouthed him for for a while there I I think the Thunder despite the fact that they're 18th they would be significantly worse without him on offense I just think in previous seasons when he was a deserving All Star and maybe even a deserving All Star starter. You know, he was able to prop up the offense with okay efficiency and get them into that top 10 area on the offensive end. And this year, that just hasn't been there. And, you know, bringing an offense from bad to below average isn't enough for me to consider you an all-star. But, uh, you know, I I certainly see all of your arguments. And, and yeah, the the counting stats certainly are on his side. But uh, I've got a couple other guys that I think are, are pretty much locks. Uh, to get in, and uh, I agree with Damian Lillard uh, that you mentioned. He's also on my team. But then I've also got uh, Rudy Gobert. Uh, He's been the one consistent on the Utah Jazz. His his defense has been as good as ever. And, uh, you know, the the Jazz have actually been on a nice little run as of late, and their their schedule is going to get a lot easier over the second half of the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if they if they have a second-half surge like they did last year. But Gobert is certainly an all-star in my mind. And then also Carl Anthony Towns. Ever since the uh, the Jimmy Butler trade, he has been absolutely fantastic. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's always been an unbelievable offensive talent. But uh, this year, I think the defense has picked up a little bit as well. Yeah, I've got Carl Anthony Towns there. 21-11 uh, uh, speaks for itself. Uh, you know, we talked about Jimmy Butler and not being able to carve out the role for himself that they would have liked, whereas I think Towns has done exactly that uh, since Jimmy Butler has departed. Uh, and finally, they've sort of got themselves a pillar there. You know, they've sort of been looking for that ever since Kevin Garnett left. Uh, I do not have Rudy Gobert uh, on my team. Uh, this is probably the biggest wild card that I've got. I've got Tobias Harris in there. Okay. Uh, at 21-8 and eight for the season. I think that people look at the Los Angeles Clippers as sort of a team with a collection of sort of tier two guys, you know, Lou Williams, uh, Danilo Gallinari, uh, you know, Marcin Gortat, Beverly, all those guys, uh, Avery Bradley. Whereas I sort of consider Tobias Harris to be, uh, you know, uh, maybe it's just me. I sort of think he can be the best player on a championship team. Uh, he's essentially you know, talk about a do-it-all guy. Uh, you know, he, just another guy that the Orlando Magic let out of town. Uh, the shooting has gotten so much better. The, the ability to finish with both hands got incredible. Uh, you know, sort of feet dexterity, if you will, in the paint. Has made substantial strides defensively. I don't think that Jerry West and that regime down there in Los Angeles should part with him under any circumstance even if it somewhat compromises their ability to land a Kawhi Leonard uh, only because I don't think letting him go uh, in favor of just about anybody is going to really move the needle for them Uh, so I've got Tobias Harris in there he's probably the last guy uh, who just squeaks in there and maybe doesn't get that much playing time and then you know as I said uh, you know, with the Dallas Mavericks, you, know, you and I were talking a little bit before before the podcast. Uh, I've got Luca in there, man. Uh, I've got I've got Luka Doncic. You know, it, it's been one of the best rookie seasons uh, in NBA history. You know, he I think has had himself the kind of season that uh, you know the Mavs have been looking for, even out of anybody, whether it be the free agent market or you know via the tra- via trade or, or the draft uh, as. You know, at just 
19 years old, is averaging 20 points a game. He's been their best clutch option. Uh, and given you know, the fact that Dennis Smith Jr. has really struggled uh, this season and uh, has not proven to be the type of uh, you know, two-way athlete and score that they were hoping for, Doncic has been that, and you know I think he's going to finally be somebody that the Mavericks can uh, use as a recruiting pitch for somebody. Uh, and there's no denying, you know, I, I think he has been, you know, regardless of being rookie of the year, which I think he's definitely on his way to being. I think he's just been, you know, one of the best players in the West this year. And you know, what he's been able to do, basically every single night, he had his first career triple double today, second youngest player in NBA history to do that and only the second player over 20 to do so. Um, the confidence that Rick Carlisle has in him, uh, the confidence his teammates have in him. You know, the Mavericks don't really have much else on that team. Harrison Barnes is a nice player, but you know he's not really a, sort of a secondary scoring option. Uh, DeAndre Jordan's going to get his rebounds and he's going to get his dunks, but he's not going to create his own shot. Uh, J.J. Barea going down with the Achilles injury. We've already talked about Dennis Smith Jr. and his uh, struggles. So I've got Luka in there. I've probably got him and Tobias Harris as my bench warmers for the All-Star game. But uh, you know, I'm sure LeBron will get a lot of playing time off the bench. And obviously, Russell Westbrook and Carl Anthony Town. So, yeah, I've got Doncic and Tobias Harris in there. So I have Doncic as well. I agree with everything you've said. He's been absolutely fantastic. Uh, you know, he's uh, he's really carried the Mavericks offense. And as you mentioned, with Dennis Smith struggling a little bit, I am a little, uh, you know, I, I do question Dallas's front office and, and uh, the decision makers there in terms of already kind of giving up on Smith, it seems, because, you know, we, we've seen plenty of occasions where point guards take a little bit longer to figure things out. And Smith, with his athleticism and size, I, I, I do think that, you know, if he does figure things out, he could be a perfect complement to Doncic. And I just feel like in year two of a, a young point guard, it's just a little bit too early to give up on him. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, actually. Because, you know, it, even, look, I will say this, I am not a fan of Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, as, you know, I think he's, he's not a very disciplined player. He's not the smartest player ever. He, he's not... Uh, he doesn't seem to really know how to play with Luka very well. Uh, he, ha- he has made some strides as a shooter. Uh, that was a big weakness for him in his rookie season uh, and in college. He has gotten a little bit better defensively. Uh, but if he is ever going to become the player that so many thought he was going to be and that even led the Celtics to uh, nearly take him, apparently, over Jason Tatum uh, at number three last year, uh, was his ability to finish at the rim as sort of, you know, Kyrie Irving light. Uh, and he is just nothing close to that. And he doesn't have a very good handle. He's not able to finish at the rim. But I agree with you in that it's, I think, a little short-sighted for the Mavericks to sort of pull the plug this soon. Uh, for all his shortcomings, the guy's got all the talent in the world. And it's only been a little bit more than one season you know, obviously, I think the Knicks would have rather have taken Dennis Smith over Frank Milikina, so you know the interest is definitely there, stemming all the way back from draft night. So, um, but yeah, you know, I, I still think it's a little early to just give up on the kid. Uh, he's got a lot of upside. He's not a bad guy. You know, he, he does seem to get along with his teammates quite well. And uh, so, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, Rick Carlisle has shown that he can get the best out of a lot of different guys. 
So, uh, you know, I still think there's a future for him. I do. Yeah, it'll be it'll be fascinating to see what uh, what happens with him uh, here in the in the next month or so. But uh, I, I did have one question for you based on something you said a little bit earlier when you were when you were bringing up uh, Tobias Harris as one of your All Star selections. Did I hear you right that you said you think he could be a the best player on a championship team? I did say that. Yeah. I'd like to hear you uh, elaborate a little bit on that. reason I say that is because it, yeah, obviously you could say, well, look, he's already the, you know, maybe the best player on a team that's got a lot of nice you know, secondary pieces, uh, and that may be true. Uh, he's got a very good coach, you know, obviously you know, implementing the system. Uh, the, the, the reason I say that is because I think in the present day NBA, uh, so much is made of the need for that stud point guard, uh, whereas I think the NBA is kind of beginning to move away from that uh, just a little bit. You know, if you look at the two teams that you and I have outlined here, uh, the majority of them are sort of these kind of combo guard forward type players. Uh, You know, Giannis is a perfect example. Ben Simmons, Oladipo, you know, Kemba doesn't play that much point these days. Uh, Paul George being another one of those guys. And then some of the point guards that are sort of a little bit more position reliant uh, have struggled a little bit on their teams. And that's, you know, Kyrie Irving, as great as he is, and we did talk about how the Celtics have really struggled with him off the court. Uh, you know, he is the best player on what many people call a championship team, and they've really struggled this season. You know, even at full strength, and then Russell Westbrook, you and I both mentioned his weaknesses. The only reason I haven't been there is just maybe I don't have the, the gall to leave off a guy uh, with you know, who's averaging a triple-double. Uh, and then Damian Lillard, you know, on a team with Portland that's kind of, you know, sort of going through the motions, it feels like, a little bit with Terry Stotts. Uh, you know, Steph is obviously the biggest exception to that. Whereas these guys that I think are a little bit more positionless are where the league is beginning to drift towards. And you look at the future, that's who the best players are. You know, the best young players like a Donovan Mitchell, a Ben Simmons, you know, a Luka Doncic and some of these, you know, budding superstars that we're seeing around the league are a little bit more of that variety of that sort of six foot seven, six foot eight mold who play the wings a little bit more than they play the point guard position. And Tobias Harris was sort of ahead of the mold in that sense. And I think if you surround him with enough shooters and, you know, they've got some over there in, in uh, with the Clippers, you know, Bradley's all right, but he's kind of limited to the corner three point shot. Uh, Gallinari is pretty good, and of course, Lou Williams is a good shooter as well. You know, I think if you can pair him with someone else, like if you can put, you know, oh, I don't know, uh, you know it's like a, some one of these guys that's going to be available next summer. Uh, obviously, if Kawhi ends up going there, I still think that Harris can be the focal point in an offense for a championship team. He's got that ISO ability. He's got some of that Joe Johnson ISO scoring ability. Uh, he can go off for 35, 40 points. He's tall enough to get up and snag a rebound. He's long enough to impact you on the defensive end. And so, you know, he's not really one of these do-it-all guys, in, except that he's really, really, really excelling at everything. And I think in the right system with the right pieces around him, even though there are a lot of good pieces there, it's kind of mixing and matching. I think if they had sort of a secondary piece, maybe it's that point guard, uh, you know, because Patrick Beverly's not, you know, the answer. I think he can be. I mean, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll probably be proven wrong in short order, but you know, I think he has that kind of ability uh, at both ends of the floor. I just do. 
Well, when when you say best player on a championship team, typically, like if 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 Kawhi were to join, he wouldn't he would no longer be the uh, the key guy. But you you seem to think more in terms of the specifically just the offensive focal point. But I would even say if Kawhi was on that team, Kawhi would be the focal point. Uh, yeah, that may be true. I mean, I, I I will reiterate though that I think Tobias is you know is currently sort of running a certain systemless offense, if you will, with the Clippers. It's just kind of a bunch of guys running around the court until one of them eventually shoots it. You know, it's not a bunch of uh, ball movement, you know, pretty looking offense like the Spurs or the Warriors, and it's not, you know, just a bunch of iso ball like the Rockets, whereas I think if you gave him that sort of leeway to run his own sets and, you know, let him be the focal point, you know, we're sort of making that the operative term here, like he was in those first couple of seasons with the Magic, and then they foolishly, I, mean, I can't even, what was it, like Brandon Jennings that they let him go for? <laughs> Something like that, yeah, it was uh, It was a terrible trade. Brandon Jennings has you know, like basically just been cut by a team overseas. Might have been Jennings um, and Ilyasova, if I remember correctly. That's a nauseatingly bad deal for them. <laughs> uh, like, that's... Uh, you know, I think early in those days we were seeing an incredibly raw Tobias Harris was kind of pushing them on towards the brink of contention. They just, for whatever reason, thought that you know Brandon Jennings was a more proven player, I guess. But uh, so it, yeah, I mean, to, to me, he can be the best player, at least offensively on a championship team, while also being an elite defensive player. I think of him as a better offensive version of Sean Marion, you know, that sort of elite athleticism, but, you know, Marion was, was kind of a limited offensive guy, so uh, that's just how I think of him, you know, and that's why I've got him in my all-star lineup. Yeah, I mean, he certainly was a was a close cut for me, but, uh, yeah, you, you've got a higher opinion of his defense than I do. I think he's he's all right on that end, but I, I certainly don't view him as elite, and and uh, in terms of his offense, yeah, he's he's putting up great numbers shooting the basketball, and he's got a very versatile offensive game. He can he can spot up and hit the three. Uh, you know, he can post up as well on littler guys. But uh, you know, the passing has never really been there. I think he's averaging about two point four assists per game. And uh, typically, out of a out of a number one option, you'd like to see a little bit more playmaking and making your teammates better. But but uh, let's uh, let's move on past that. I don't think we're ever going to agree on that discussion. But uh, my my final guy that I have making the team, and, and this was a tough decision. I feel like the the last spot in the West was pretty tough for me. Uh, but I ended up going with Lamarcus Aldridge. And, uh, you know, the the Spurs got off to a really rough start this season, and Aldridge did as well. Uh, But uh, really the turnaround for the Spurs uh, came once Aldridge really started picking it up, and and that started kind of at the beginning of December. And he's uh, he's been really hot ever since then for the last month and a half. I, I get the the argument against him is that the Spurs bench has been a key reason for uh, for for their success and they've been deep and and their bench units have uh, have got great plus minus numbers, but Aldridge keeping that starting unit basically in line and and keeping them in the game uh, has has been pretty important for this this Spurs turnaround. Yeah, I mean I can certainly understand that logic. I mean twenty one and nine is very hard to argue against. Uh, it, the, the only thing I, it, the, the re, and you know, believe me, certainly, it, it, you know, he was somebody that I uh, had in mind uh, when comprising this list. But uh, I guess the reason he's a snub for me is that the I feel like the absence of Kawhi Leonard, the trade for him, you know, I, I think the Spurs knew that Demar Derozan uh, 
wasn't ever going, well, A, was never, you know, sort of the alpha in Toronto, even though he sort of needed to be for them. And that I think they knew that he wouldn't be for them in San Antonio. And that kind of left the door ajar for LaMarcus. And again, I, I you know, I, I think that as well as he's playing, and the numbers are you know, largely there, uh, I, I have some trepidation about that one just because I do think that he has not quite, you know, taken the mantle, uh, and neither really has DeRozan. And so there's sort of this vacuum a little bit on the offensive end because it's a lot of, you know, with Popovich, you know, that offense is centered around selflessness and moving the ball well and just trying to, whoever it is, regardless of whether it's like an established star like Lamarcus Aldridge or some, you know, guy out of nowhere like Dick Davis Bertans. Uh, it's just about getting the best possible shot for your team. And I think that both Aldridge and DeRozan sort of come from a little bit more of an ISO background, especially DeRozan. And so there's sort of this weird kind of dichotomy there where I think there's a little bit of a hes- little bit of hesitation in that offense and we've seen I think way too many times uh, you know, Marco Bellinelli or Bryn Forbes or you know, someone like that or Rudy Gay just kind of hoist up a really bad three. Uh, and that's just not something you equate with Greg Popovich's offensive team. And I think it's a little, I think the onus is a little bit on the Marcus to sort of take that into his own hands a little bit. And I just personally haven't seen that yet. Uh, whereas, I, you know, the guy I guess I, would, I put in, in front of him barely is Tobias Harris. Uh, who is averaging the same amount of points. Uh, I just I sort of see the assertiveness there a little bit more. Uh, but, yeah, you make valid points. He, he's, a, he's a great, great player. He's a, you know, obviously always, always been a great shooter. Never been the most capable defender, but, uh, you know, 21-9, you know, I, I won't have you know, an issue with that one if he uh, indeed gets in. Well, yeah, he certainly isn't anything elite defensively, but the Spurs, you know, again, with this turnaround that they've had over the last month and a half, they have been, you know, pretty good defensively. And, and outside of, of Aldridge, especially with DeJounte Murray tearing his ACL, they don't have a ton of defensive talent on the floor. So maybe Aldridge is maybe a little bit better defensively than uh, than people give him credit for. Uh, and, and it could just be the Greg Popovich effect, just, uh, you know, one of the greatest coaches, if not the greatest coach of all time. Yeah, yeah, that's certainly true. You know, systematically it does work. I mean, he, he has always, I will give him this, he, he has always been, uh, since he arrived in San Antonio, a much better defender than he ever was in Portland. Uh, you know, in Portland, under Nate McMillan, he, he was a complete liability uh, on that end of the floor. And, you know, in that playoff series against the Mavericks back in that, uh, 2011, I mean, you know, Dirk Nowitzki was abusing many people in those days, but he just, I mean, Aldridge was helpless out there, and uh, you know, we saw that as kind of a recurring trend in Portland. Now, once he got to San Antonio, obviously the coaching made a difference. You know, Kawhi Leonard's all-world defensive and Dejounte Murray's defensive prowess. You know, I think did cover up for some of those deficiencies. But yeah, I mean, he's obviously if you're a starter on a team that's as good defensively as they are, you're gonna you definitely have you know a part in that, especially with Dejounte Murray being out. Uh, I would like to see LaMarcus, you know, join one other team uh, before his career is over, maybe go back to Portland, uh, just to see, you know, because uh, as we said you know, way back, almost two hours ago now, that, you know, so many guys who leave San Antonio struggle elsewhere, uh, and, 
I'd love to see if, if Aldridge is one of those guys. You know, if he is sort of used to playing a certain way to where it even makes his defensive uh, deficiencies uh, look a little bit better. Uh, you know, I kind of wonder where, you know, if he were to go to some team, you know, sort of looking for just a, a little bit of a scoring punch in their starting lineup, like the Sixers or, you know, maybe once, I don't know, maybe, maybe once the Jazz get a little bit better, uh, someone like that. So, uh, it, you know, I, I certainly won't have an issue with him getting in. And also, you know, I, you know, he may not get in just because he's not the flashiest guy ever. And, you know, he's kind of a quiet star out there with just the mid-range you know, shot, not the sexiest guy out there, so... Uh, but yeah, I don't, the argument is definitely okay. So. Yeah, so I, I had a, a few more guys that uh, that I had on the borderline that, that that just missed that I wanted to mention, and, and you're free to mention some guys as well. But uh, Danilo Gallinari, another guy for the Clippers, alongside Tobias Harris. You know, those guys kind of play a similar role for that team, and and uh, both guys have had really good seasons. Uh, DeRozan, who you just mentioned, uh, you know, putting up his uh, career high in assists this season. And then, you know, I, I mentioned I had Russell Westbrook uh, just missing. Jamal Murray, another guy for Denver, despite the fact that he's not shooting uh, the three ball that well, uh, he has been, uh, you know, getting better in the isolation game and, and helping that Denver offense. Steven Adams for, for Oklahoma City, I think, is having a, a really excellent season. And uh, another guy that's, that's always, uh, you know, scoring the ball really well, uh, C.J. McCollum. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely did Danilo Gallinari for me. I think he's more deserving than DeMar DeRozan, uh, truthfully. Uh, I will. I, I think sort of my second big snub is is uh, Drew Holiday. Oh right, yeah, I had him as well. I forgot to mention him. <laughs> I did mention earlier that he's not having quite the same season that he had last season, but that's just because last year he was playing at a defensive level that uh, was frankly just a little bit ridiculous. I couldn't really believe what we were seeing out of him. Uh, yeah, this year, yeah, he's still playing very, very well on that end of the floor. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be first team all the NBA defense again. Uh, maybe a second team, which is still quite an accomplishment for him. Uh, but offensively, I mean, you know, talk about a, a guy that Anthony Davis can still you know, give the ball out back, you know, beyond the three point line. Dude, this guy's averaging twenty one and eight this season. Yeah, you know, that's that's pretty impressive. And you know, we've mentioned several guys, you know. That are even in our starting lineups. I don't think are averaging those numbers. So, uh, you know, when you combine that with his defensive ability, I think he is deserving. It's just a little bit too thick, you know, in the West, obviously. Yeah, he'd, he'd and, easily make it in the East. Oh, easily, yeah, you know, without without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, Kyle Kuzma, you know, I think is someone you know who in the LA market has really, really stepped up in LeBron James's absence. Uh, he's been outstanding. Uh, the three-point shooting, uh, the ability to sort of glide up above the rim with that big six-nine frame he's got. Uh, he's been so good for them. He's really taken over the role that I think they were always hoping Grant Ingram would take for them. Uh, you know, he, he, I've really, really enjoyed watching Kyle Kuzma, and he, you know, some people there was kind of a, a you know a thought around the league, the school thought that he sort of had just a really, really great rookie year and that it was sort of an aberration how well he played and that he's always going to be sort of a, you know, a real nice player. But I think now he's proven that he could very well end up being a star for them. And, a, you know, sort of everyone's always talking about how they need that second player next to LeBron. Maybe he eventually will become that. And then the last guy I'll mention uh, out west is Devin Booker. Uh, you know, Phoenix is obviously, you know, at the bottom of the barrel again this season. Uh, DeAndre 
January 8th's arrival has not prevented them from, you know, essentially having probably the first pick in the draft all over again. The, the next worst team in the West is eight games better. Uh, they're only 11 wins on the, they only have 11 wins on the season. But, you know, 25 and 7 is 25 and 7. Obviously, that's a very high usage rate. That's a lot of shots that he's taking, given there's just, you know, essentially nobody else on that roster that, you know, is going to be trying to take over any kind of scoring duties other than DeAndre Ayton. So, yeah, I'll mention Devin Booker just because I think that, you know, the Suns would be on the verge of the old Phoenix Suns territory, or rather the old uh, Philadelphia 76ers territory, you know, going like 135 or whatever it was with him. <laughs> so, yeah, I'll throw him in there. I mean, I guess, you know, you can make a little bit of a case for De'Aaron Fox, uh, but I, I think this has been sort of a gradual ascension for him as opposed to a breakout season. Uh, but, you know, I could sort of get behind that one. I mean, you know, I've seen some writing about Andrew Wiggins in recent days, but uh, I think that's just a more factor of his shot falling than anything else. Yeah, the, the Fox one is interesting because, yeah, the Kings continue to hang in the Western Conference playoff race, which uh, I, for one, was not expecting. I don't know about you, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, he uh, he has been, uh, you know, arguably their their best player this season, and and I like the Devin Booker shout out. Uh, he has really improved his playmaking this season to the point that you know everyone was talking about Phoenix desperately needs a point guard, but uh, with what Booker has shown this season, you know, you can you can make an argument that maybe they should just add another wing and let Booker handle the point guard duties in a similar way that uh, that that Houston has with uh, James Harden. Yeah, they sort of, I think, have kind of tried to convince themselves that Kelly Oubre is going to be that guy. Uh, I, for one, do not think that's the answer. I've never been a Kelly Oubre fan during his time in Washington. I thought he was, you know, in Washington, you know, I thought he was a little bit redundant along with uh, uh, Otto Porter. And now in Phoenix, I just, I don't see how, you know, it, what they need, I think, is sort of a Harrison Barnes type, you know, guy who... Is a little bit more kind of well versed, I think, in how to sort of play help defense while also being a little bit more consistent three point shooter. Very streaky player, uh, and for a team that is, you know, a bottom feeder player for the entire league, they've got eleven wins for crying out loud. You know, that motivation you know, that sort of came and went. You know, kind of has a motor issue that came and went in, in uh, Washington is really going to be a problem uh, when you're only winning eleven games and you're losing every single night so uh, I don't know if Kelly Oubre is really going to be the answer there I still and especially because I think it also stunts the growth a little bit of Josh Jackson and you know they invested an insanely high amount of draft capital on him and you know I mean who did they pass on I mean, they passed on you know several you know really proven at Lauren Markin and they could have taken you know Donald Mitchell Dennis Smith Milikina you know, you know maybe Smith and Milikina aren't the you know, sexiest names out there but I think that uh, you know he, he's still got a long way to go you know and, and I don't know that adding Kelly Uber to the mix is really what they need I think they have that wing he just hasn't kind of figured out what he can do yet yeah, and uh, you know they're going to have to decide if uh, if they're going to pay up for Ubre this off season as well. And the draft is another another interesting thing. That's kind of why this whole Devin Booker at point guard experiment is so important because you know if if you've got the again if the Suns have one of the top three picks in the draft, uh, they're going to have to decide whether they want to go with a point guard or as you said maybe maybe draft a wing even though they they've got some wings already in the fold. Yeah, they do. I mean, it 
makes you wonder if, uh, you know, drafting R.J. Barrett, you know, one, number one overall makes sense for them. You know, they'll probably get killed, you know, for passing on Zion Williamson. But, I mean, again, you know, you just have to remember that it, it, it's a little puzzling, right? Because I think you had to, they had to understand that this was the kind of year where, regardless of who they picked, uh, number one overall, they were still going to, you know, struggle a lot, and evidently they didn't notice that because they went out and signed Trevor Ariza, (laughs) thinking he would help them win some games. So that combined with the fact that they hired Luka Doncic's old coach from Slovenia, you'd think that maybe drafting Doncic number one overall and then still leaving that center position kind of open for grabs, and people knew about how great Zion Williamson was going to be this time last year. And so... It, it does make you wonder if you know picking DeAndre Ayton had a little bit more to do with just the fact that he's the local kid, you know, the kid from Arizona, you know, all that stuff kind of checked all the boxes. So you know, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, and Lucas, you know, Lucas started this year makes this a real easy argument to make. But uh, you know, it does make you wonder. You know, just imagine a, a young core of Devin Booker, Luka Doncic, and Zion Williamson. Yeah, that is uh, that is incredibly exciting to think about. Unfortunately, that won't happen. But you know, even even Sacramento, you think about pairing De'Aaron Fox with the the season he's had and, and Luka Doncic. That's a really exciting foundation to build upon. So you know, a couple of teams there really, uh, I think, failed missing on Doncic and heading into the draft. I think I was, and I'm sure you were too, that uh, the Doncic should be the clear and and for sure number one pick, but. A couple of teams passed, and, and they might uh, pay the price for, for years and years to come. But uh, we've gotten through both uh, both all-star teams. We had a few disagreements, which was fun to, fun to discuss. But, uh, Evan, uh, we'll end here, and I just want to thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Garrett. Yeah, I'd love to be back. That should be a good rest of the season. I guess once the rosters come out, uh, you know, we'll have to check back with our uh, determinations here and see, uh, see who came out on top. Thanks for listening to this episode of Duncan Dynasty. If you'd like to support the show, you can follow me and the program on Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a rating and review. You can email me at g-bougay, B-U-G-A-Y, at onu.edu. You can uh, give me any questions, comments, concerns, compliments. Be happy to to hear from you, and uh, hopefully I can get back to you as well. You can get a hold of me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Garrett Bougay. Garrett is spelled with uh, two R's and two T's. You can also uh, catch me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. I plan on airing episodes just about every Wednesday with occasional breaks throughout the uh, the entirety of the 2018-19 season, including the off-season. And uh, if you're if you're starving for more content, I urge you to check out any of my guests' previous material. Uh, a lot of the guys I have on have their own podcasts as well and do a lot of interesting stuff. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day. Leftovers. Or... The DMV. Number 97. Or... House Cleaning. Or... 
Chumba Casino always brings the fun. Play over a hundred different games online for free from anywhere. You could redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details.